Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, guys, today's guest, James Short. He is a tuner, works at BTR, builds cars, races cars. Um, he's got some really cool stuff. He recently, uh, well, I guess not too recently, switched out of stick shift, which is probably the best decision financially, but yeah. everybody always gets so salty when you oh, yeah. take a clutch out of a car. Yeah, they do. <laughs> if, if they would fund it, I, I would sure keep it in there. Yeah. <laughs> the stick shift racing is so awesome, but it is... It is too crazy right now. Oh, yeah. yeah. It, it's just at a point where you have to either sell transmissions or clutches to do it. Yep. Or yep. just really be like a screw loose a little bit. Oh, yeah. And the, and the thing for me, too, is we, we don't really have a whole lot of stick shift racing close to us in Kentucky, mm-hmm. uh, much less the tracks, you know, to support it either. So, um, you know, the automatic small tire no time stuff, you know. You well, can race when you're, pretty much every weekend. When your F body was stick shift, it was going mid sevens, right? You went no, I never did end up breaking it to the sevens. Unfortunately, oh. uh, that uh, I was still using a diaphragm clutch, you know, which is the hard way to do it. And uh, car was heavy, you know, it didn't have enough cage. Um, it made huge power. That's what it yeah, was, right? Yeah, yeah, it made a bunch of power. It I remember there was something like stuff. there was something super interesting about that car. I remember, yeah. and I was like. An LS making like right, it made just shy of twenty three hundred horsepower on the hub dyno. That's and stupid for a cast yeah, block. I'm, I mean, you, I literally swapped an auto in it, and on less boost, went a full second faster. You know, on some random test and tune night local track. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's it has its place. I definitely miss it, but at the same time, uh, I don't miss breaking almost every weekend either. So, it's a cool community, and there's such like a small group of guys that. Yeah. You know, all ten of them know each other right, pretty well. Right. Yeah, <laughs> I'm still I'm still pretty good buddies with all those guys too, and and I wish them luck every time. So you know, I I watch them still because it is interesting racing. Uh, they but, do need the luck, that's for sure. Yeah, for sure. Jonathan Rogers just went back to his stick, and that was pretty cool. But then the whole stick shift debate does get pretty interesting because it's like, what do you consider a true age pattern? It, dog yeah. box, dog engagement, like right. Is it T56 records are you going for? Are you going for diaphragm clutch stuff? And yep, yep. you start splitting hairs a little bit. Yep, and that's gets, true. Uh, and that's kind of where I kind of exited the thing, too, because I ended up breaking a really expensive transmission and just financially couldn't rebuild it or buy, buy another one. So, uh, Well, those was, parts are, like, not oh, yeah. easy to obtain. No. No, I mean, it was waiting months for the gear set. I had a G-Force gear set in my mm-hmm. T56, and... Um, you know, I broke that, and it was, you know, another four or five thousand dollars for just a gear set, mm-hmm. you know, to replace it, plus the case and all the other stuff that it broke along with it. So, um, 
you know, that was kind of my exit because I really needed a clutch too. I started blowing through the triple disc that I had and really needed to swap over to, I guess the technical term would be the long style clutch or what the I call a slipper clutch. Yeah. So I like the slipper stuff, but getting under there and like weighing stuff and like yeah. adding a gram just seems too tedious for me. Yeah, it is some definite work. <laughs> uh, and I still work on, you know, a buddy's car that still has that style clutch in it, but, um, they're definitely a lot easier to drive. I will say, you know, you can dial that launch in mm-hmm. real easy. And but uh, the track is you're so track sensitive at that point. You dial yeah. it in, and you're like, oh, cool, you know. And then heat of the day tune up. It's not yep. just a laptop change at that point. It's like, yeah, you got to climb under the car and physically take weight off or take mm-hmm. base pressure out, you know, to get the thing to motor through the slimy track, you know, the heat. So. Uh, yeah, with your freaking Turbo 400, you could just dump some line pressure or something. Yeah, you know, there's dump valve on for three seconds or something, you know. Yeah, because there's so much. I think people don't realize how much tuning you can actually do on a transmission. Oh, yeah. With converter pressure. Oh, yeah. And especially if you have a lockup, you can really get crazy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't have any experience with lockup other than OEM transmissions, obviously. But uh, I can imagine, you know. Yeah, HP Tuners actually just announced a bunch of new stuff that should be interesting. I mean, I'm sure you play with HP Tuners. Yeah, yeah, we tune a lot of uh, OEM GM stuff. Uh, C8 just got unlocked. That'll yep. be pretty cool. Yeah, and apparently it's kind of limited. Like, you have to be an authorized dealer and uh, know specific someone. dealers and all that good stuff to even have access to that stuff, currently anyway. So, um, you know, that'll be a little bit exclusive. Um, I'm It'll actually be- currently not even on that list either. Hmm. Uh, I'm still kind of on the fence whether I want to be because there's some other stuff in the background with keeping records of things and stuff like that. So, yeah, uh, they definitely have a long list of who's turned off what. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a little scary as a tuner because I spent a lot of time with Jeremy Fermato and he's like maxed out, you know, five, ten cables over right. the last few years. And he's like, yeah, eh. yeah. <laughs> I know it's it's kind of a scary situation and you know that's why I've kind of slowed down on you know the whole OEM side a little bit and actually you know went to work at BTR to kind of you know diversify and and you know learn a little bit of other stuff too so distance uh, yourself from kind of the yeah turning off OEM stuff yeah I can right. I can imagine why you right. want to distance yourself and then now anybody that's really racing on stock ECU stuff is crazy yeah. Because the aftermarket stuff has come so far. Well, you know, you five get, years ago. You can get a Terminator X for, yeah. you know, dang near what licensing costs and a cable cost yep. from HP Tuner. So, I mean, yeah, you have to install it. But, I mean, you have boost control, launch control, trans brake control, if you're stick shift, you know, clutch control, all that stuff. So, But even I think they just did 6R80 or 6. Yep. Yes. Yep. The so they just released. Speed stuff. Yep, the MV3 on Terminator X, you can do 6L80 stuff now, yeah. 6L92. Uh, and it's funny because the guy that actually did all the development stuff for that uh, at Holly now works for BTR right next to me, hmm. uh, helping with some of the software side of things that we do at BTR. So. Oh, is it Blaine? Yep. Yeah, yep, yeah, Blaine. yeah. I've talked to him a little bit. Yep. He, he was recently at Holly, too. Uh, I think he had been there for a couple of years. Yeah. But, yeah, it, he hasn't... 
I don't think he'd been there like super, I mean, super long. A lot of, lot of shakeup there in yeah. Raleigh at the moment. I know, it seems that way. It's a, it's an interesting deal going on, and BTR is not far from them, so I'm sure it's not hard to right. grab a couple of star employees here and there. Yep, yep. But it's, I mean, what was it, uh, Tom is the CEO, right? Uh, or, I don't know who the CEO is now. He was the CEO, right? Yeah, I think I, it was him. I think yeah. so, yeah. We hung out with him quite a few times, but then... Right. All craziness going on. Once you sell out to multinational companies, you kind of oh, yeah. profit is the biggest concern. And yep. yeah, all kinds of things about Dyn- Holly. Dynamic changes. <laughs> I really appreciate Holly and all that they've done for me. And <laughs> all, they're on all of my cars and probably always will be because yep. there's not. It's a good system. Yeah, there's I mean, not many companies that can compete with the, no. their catalog is just massive. Yeah, I know. But BTR's got some awesome stuff. You help design the intake, right? The I, I don't do much of the intake. I do the testing and stuff on the intake. Okay. Uh, our main designer for the intake was is uh, Rick, and uh, you know he's got, a, I mean, a resume longer than I've been alive. You yeah. know, he's the one that originated Trick Flow. Uh, you know, and the story goes on and on. I, I don't want to speak for him, but uh, he's the main man behind the scenes, you know, doing the intake stuff, the casting stuff. Um, you know, we've been doing a lot of change-ups and, uh, I guess, different platform applications uh, with that intake. So yeah. uh, we have some new stuff coming out. Uh, obviously, we've already got all your LS platform stuff, LT. Uh, we just recently, I guess, a couple months ago, released the, we call it the truck intake, but it's just a long runner LT intake. Um that's a good one. It tested really good. Um, and then I think uh, we've obviously we got Godzilla. Uh, that was kind of, a, I, I guess, uh, an explosion into that market because we're, we're yeah. not really known for Ford. Where do you think that, that market's going to go? You think the Godzilla market's going to take off? Because I feel like people think it is, but, you know, you can guess well, it's, and assume. It's hard to really forecast because I feel like that's um, – that engine has so much potential because it's obviously a big cubic inch engine. Yeah. But uh, I don't think the camshaft technology has really been tapped into yet. We're actually working on that. Yeah. Uh, we're actually working with Brian Wolf uh, to help co-develop um, camshafts, and uh, you know he's doing a lot of the testing and stuff for us since he has multiple crate motors up there that he deals with. So um, you know we're collaborating with him on that because he he knows the Ford market, especially Godzilla, because he know help design that at ford before yeah. he retired so uh he's got a personal investment investment in that so. it's weird though because like I, I don't look at that engine and i'm like oh this is like a ford guy engine i know because it didn't really come in any ford performance car right so it's really just a hot rodder engine yeah, yeah. like if you take all the you know you put a engine management system on that thing in a different intake you're not even thinking like oh this is a ford engine it's not a coyote i know <laughs> it's like i know it seems like the Ford purists these days are more modular slash coyote based, mm-hmm. you know, overhead cam, you know, four valve head type engines. Uh, I think what this engine is going to kind of bridge is the old school Ford guys, your small block Ford guys. Yeah. You know, they're going to look at this engine and be like, hey, this is a updated version of, you know, the old small block Ford Windsor, you know, uh, and have a platform that's updated to hopefully jump into I don't see it huge in the 
like drag racing market, but for like resto yeah. mods and stuff, yeah. I feel like that engine's going to be awesome. Yeah, like all, all your guys swapping the old F100s and yeah. you know old rat rods and like an old truck rods. with that in there would oh, be yeah. really great. Yeah, the torque you could actually tow with it, put oh, like yeah. a six speed trans on there. That's where I see that engine being really good because they don't RPM well enough. No. For we're working on that performance. The, Their the, oil pumps are all weird. They got that chain on there. I don't oh like yeah, it. yeah. Not a huge fan of that design. No, that's not a great design. But uh, I, I think as the aftermarket kind of funnels in and kind of solves some of those, you know, small issues, uh, I think it'll be a good platform. I know there, there's plenty of people that sell swap pans and stuff for them now too. Um, I'm trying to think. Uh, I don't know if it was LME or one of the companies actually designed a oil pump that was similar to like a coyote pump mm. and it's supposed to solve that whole you know yeah. down in the oil pan chain driven oil pump deal but yeah it hangs really low down too so that makes it tough for it's hard to swap yeah yeah i don't know it's an interesting thing because ford seemed like they wanted that to be like the swap into everything but then like there's a couple there's things a that it fell short. It. Yeah. <laughs> it's a weird deal. But then, like, when you buy it off the shelf, like, it comes with, like, pretty nice wiring harness and stuff. Mm-hmm. And if you have a plug-and-play kit, right, make it really nice because that's the one thing that every yep. car guy hates usually is, like, yep. 9 out of 10 of them dislike wiring up a car. Oh, yeah. Uh, who likes wiring? Yeah. I mean, unless you actually wire cars for a living and make a lot of money at it. Generally don't like wiring. I don't like wiring. No. <laughs> I can do it, but I don't like it. <laughs> I, I dislike it very much. And then every time I do it, I'm I'm always like, man, I want to change some stuff. And it's basically you have to redo it. Yep. You can't just like change a couple oh, wires. No. You have to like start over. I'm so bad about it. Like if somebody looked in my race car, they'd be like, man, who wired this? They're a retard. But <laughs> I, I mean, I looked in your race car and I saw like a exposed loom. Yep. And I was like, oh, he's just doing some figuring out <laughs> yeah still <laughs> and that was like i think last season in darlington yep yep that oh. was i'd actually just got the car back uh finished i guess uh ls fest and it's funny uh we built that car in what a week i think and uh no wiring you know we we bought a flying lead harness with the Haltech. And, uh, you know, it's a PDM, so it does, mm-hmm. you know, everything. You know, there's no relay panels or anything. So all your electrical stuff that you run on the car, you know, whether it be fans or lights or turn signals, you know, all that stuff has to be wired to the ECU, too. Mm. And it's basically got a flying lead of about 150 wires just hanging out of it. And you just got to run them where you want to and terminate them and loom them. And so, yeah, uh, originally I... Literally wired the engine up and got enough sensors to just run the engine and uh, do boost control and trans brake control. And that's how we actually raced it at LS Fest, uh, was just with the bare minimum sensors. And um, as uh, time progressed, of course, I'm working two jobs, you know, BTR and tuning in the evenings at home. So uh, then building a race car is its whole job. Oh, yeah. I actually took off a whole week at work uh, the week before. LS Fest to try to get that thing done. And that's probably when you get a thousand tuning calls at the same oh, time. Yeah. It, it always happens that way. <laughs> like, oh, LS Fest is coming to town. You want to get your race car done, but then a thousand other people are yep. also last minute. Yep. Like, hey, I just put all these new sensors in. Can yep. you calibrate them for me? They wouldn't have wanted me to tune a car that week. I, I think I was up for, I think it was literally 40 hours straight. I think it was. 
I don't know. I've not been right since. I'm still trying to catch up on sleep. <laughs> yeah, LS Fest kind of does that to you. I've yeah. been to a few of them, and they're always the. There's just such a good energy at that event. Oh yeah, they do yeah. such a great job, and it's such a long running deal. Well, that, and like, it just seems like it's such a central location that everybody comes to mm-hmm. it too. You know, you have your Capitzis coming down from Michigan. You have you all and Garrett yeah. coming all the way from Florida up to it. Uh, you've got people from East Coast, you know, down in the Carolinas and even over in Missouri Midwest that come out to it. So it's just like, you know, a metropolis for the LS platform. To, well, and then there's BTR is close and mm-hmm. Holly's right there. The Corvette yep. Museum, you feel like you're amongst like. Yeah. And then the line of hotels where everybody just does the burnouts down the oh, street yeah. the whole time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> We've gotten into some smart car racing out there. <laughs> Because yep. uh, I think it was a rain delay, so basically oh, yeah. it was just smart car racing at yep. that point. Yep. And then once you're in LS Fest, you little known fact, you don't actually have cell service. Oh, yeah. So it's you're horrible. only talking amongst the people that you can actually see. <laughs> yeah, you might as well take point. walkie-talkies because that's the only thing that works. <laughs> yep, once you're on that property, you're in there. <laughs> yep, yep. So you help with the, um, you know, BTR design something, and then you have to tune it to figure out if it's... Yeah, my good man. or how? How do you? How does that work? How do you develop an intake and then also f- do the product testing to make sure that like? So to give you an idea, what I, I mainly do camshaft design right now. So uh, lobe design and uh, revising all our camshafts that we sell as shelf cams. Um, you know, we have a pretty vigorous test that we have baselines off of our old stuff. Uh, have some somewhat new designs that we've started with and we what we do we grind those and spintron test them to see how out of shape they are yeah. uh, if they have a lot of bounce or deflection um, to make sure it's not going to beat the valve train up and also we want to keep as much uh, area on the lobe which tends to be a faster lobe uh, to obviously make you know more power for the given duration size that the lobe is so you know, there's a, a lot of variables going in there. We have lobe designs and the actual specs overlap, you know, when the intake valve closes, when the exhaust valve opens, yeah. you know, all that stuff, there's a lot to take in. Uh, so we use software for that and we also test it. So um, me and a few other guys, uh, you know, we'll test on the Spintron, then we'll take it, put it on the dyno, test it, and then we'll simulation test it as well. Um, and that's, pretty much what we do for developing a, a new product. Uh, currently, we've been doing mostly camshaft stuff, naturally. Uh, but as it's far crazy. as... crazy. You guys are still developing camshafts all these years of LS. Yeah. Right now, we're working on Hemi. So, okay. you know, that's kind of been uh, a new venture for us because we're all GM guys. You know, we, we know V8 engines and mm-hmm. we, know, we know the basics of them. But as far as the specifics to Hemi and... Uh, the different generations of Hemi, we really didn't know a whole lot of details about it. So over the last probably two years, we've been diving into the Hemi stuff and really fine-tuning, you know, what we want to do in that market. Is it mostly blower cams then? Uh, not Right now, no. Uh, so... Like Hellcat the, stuff are we talking? like We're starting off with the like truck Gen stuff. Gen 3 or whatever? We've had so much success with our, our truck cams uh, on the LS and LT market. Yeah. Uh, well, the Hemi trucks also have the same problems with their MDS, which is basically Hemi version of the DOD yeah. or AFM that GM has. Huh. So uh, they have lifters that go bad, and, you know, they wipe cams out, you know, because they put cheap cams in the Hemi trucks, unfortunately. 
Mm. Uh, that doesn't sound like Fiat Dodge at all. I know, right? <laughs> wow. So, uh, you know, we're going to come out with a truck line first and then work on the 6.4, you know, Hemi car line. And then I think we're also going to bring out the 6.2, you know, supercharged line as well. Yeah, so, I imagine uh, that's a pretty big market. Yeah, the Hellcat so with market. So with, like, a Hemi canvas and LS, like, how is the firing pattern different? So. Uh, like, Don't how quite. different are they? Does it have, like, a bigger bore? Can you get away with, well, like, a the, little bit more? the actual physical part of it is different. You know, they've got a tapered, you know, journal size. You know, the very back journal is very tiny. Also, oh, like, a Christmas tree shape almost? Yeah. That's yeah, weird. So like, the journals, uh, the, you know, the bearing journals, they, they kind of Christmas tree out, you know, rather than be a similar size like a, huh. a GM. But, yeah, the, the biggest thing that's been uh, – I guess troublesome for us is really reverse engineering the whole rocker geometry because it's a, uh, it's a three dimensional, uh, I don't really array, I guess, uh, that it works in. So your push rods have real funky angles Mm -hmm. on the Hemi, which changes the rocker ratio throughout the the lift range. And, uh, we do our lobe design based on the valve motion instead of just cam lobes. And, uh, you know, having that geometry pinpoint on is important because we have these valve motion files that we then run through this simulation to back calculate the lobe lift version of the cam that we end up grinding to the cam itself. And we do that because the valve motion uh, is more, I guess, keen on uh, trying to keep bounce and you know, deflection and all that valve strength stability under yeah. control so with the spintron for people that don't know you guys can probably spin it up real high and slow motion camera see what that's kind of doing well we don't actually we use a laser okay uh, so we've actually cut a, a big window in the side of the block and we have this laser that goes in where the pistons would normally go and uh it shoots up and we paint the valve white so the laser can pick it up better and it literally uh traces that laser uh hmm. up against the valve so you can actually see how the valve is actuating uh, in correlation to your baseline yeah. know, on the computer. Huh. And it'll record it in, in whatever RPM increment you want. So basically, it'll uh, we start off at like 1,000 RPM to get a baseline because 1,000 RPM is not going to deflect or you know loft the valve or do anything crazy. So that'll be our baseline. And then we'll step it up in 1,000 RPM increments till we get to around 6,000. And we'll take it down to 100 RPM increments up to seven or 7500 you know whatever the operating range of the cam is intended to be mm-hmm. and we'll check it at those intervals to make sure it's not beating the valve train up or yeah anything it's so weird seeing an engine on a spintron like seeing it go through its motions but not actually hearing it and like watching it rev up and down it's such like a weird thing yeah. when i was at um frankenstein i watched them spintron yeah. and ls and they they turned it up pretty high when we were there too yeah <laughs> like yeah. That thing had some RPM to it. It was kind of scary. I was like, oh, and the yeah. Like, it's weird being. It's like being next to like an engine on an engine dyno. It's like yeah, yeah, not I, ideal. Yeah, ours is kind of loud, so it's it's kind of crazy because obviously the electric motor is what turns the shaft. It doesn't actually have a crankshaft in it anymore. Uh, we we have machine shafts that you know fill the void of the camshaft or uh, mm-hmm. crankshaft rather. Uh, that basically just drives the, the timing chain to spin all the valve yeah, stuff. Sure, you don't need to spin the. Yeah, so there's no rotating assembly, no rods, pistons, any of that in there. Um, but, you know, other than the oil pump, because it's got a, has a mechanical pump that's driven by an electric motor, it's kind of loud. But 
once you get the thing spun up, it's actually a really pretty loud. It's crazy. The valve train makes yeah. that much noise. Yeah, uh, I know. It's weird. It's it's weird to like see that. Yeah. And I bet the Hemi's are probably a little like. Believe it or not, uh, they're actually kind of quiet. Really, compared now, to like an LS. And I don't know because we're still designing and you know trying to see what we can get away with. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, our first initial lobes would start off on the soft side and work our way up to see what we can get away with durability wise and speed wise. And, uh, you know, we'll take that in consideration, but, uh, the softer lobes are definitely quieter cause it, yeah. you know, the, it's not making the valve train chatter or do anything crazy. What's the deal so, with like lifters on those? Does like Johnson make one or do you have to like, I believe Johnson is making lifters. Uh, don't quote me on that. Um, I know we've just been using uh, factory, uh, yeah. Hellcat lifters. So that's mm. what we've been spending. Are they like beefier looking than like an LS one? Cause I think it's just a standard lifter that mm. just doesn't have the MDS stuff in it. Yeah. So, uh, I've even heard some guys say that they even use the MDS lifter still, in, even when they do a cam swap, even though I don't really think you should do that. But Yeah, probably wouldn't, but Dodge people are a little crazy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's Dodge people, man. Fifth. <laughs> I can say it because I'm not trying to sell them any parts. <laughs> I had a 2JZ. That thing sings at 9,000 RPM, not cranking or not uh, rattling like an LS oh, yeah. does or something like oh, that. Yeah. Even though I've turned my LS drift car, which is like an LS6, yeah, we, we had it on the dyno, and we were just like, let's just keep adding RPM. And it didn't blow up, <laughs> so it has like a, a very, very stupid rev limiter on yeah. it, like eight, right at 8,000. Oh, yeah. Which is a very scary they, spot to rev your LS they, to. They change tones pretty good once you get up above yeah. 7. Yeah. So Off the limiter at you know, <laughs> 8,000 RPM is a, little, uh, right. is a little scary. So the LT stuff, though, that seems like the best platform. for yeah. If you want to be a VA guy that still has push rods, small yeah. block, it seems like LT is the move now. Yep, LT is definitely the move. Um they, they make more power whether you port inject them or, I mean, obviously the DI stuff definitely makes mm-hmm. more power. We did a whole bunch of testing on that stuff over the last two, three years. and Learn man, more than just, you wanted to know, know about yeah, port inject, I mean, direct injection. I mean, I went into it on the tuning side of it, you know, thought I knew quite a bit, but having access to unlimited hours on the engine dyno, you just, you know, can try different things yeah. with injector timing, rail pressures, and Obviously, we're designing camshafts and intake manifolds, too. So, you know, you get to play with a bunch of different stuff there to see what works and what doesn't. And it's been really eye-opening to, you know, be able to, you know, divulge that time and, and learn. So, Like, even, like, the 5.3s, though, just seem, like, the aluminum 5.3s just seem yeah. so much more robust than the LSs. It's kind of yeah. crazy. Yeah. Like, my buddy Nate runs one in his moonshine car and like he was making crazy power on like unported heads. Oh yeah. It was, I think the pistons were still like the direct injection ones where they still had that like crazy design Yep. where where, like you're probably going to get all kinds of spark knock because of it if you try to. Oh yeah. They've got a lot of sharp edges on them and those things are a lot more compression, you know, than the LS motors were too. So, but But. for keeping the direct injection, I I, I don't know. That's always the thing. You just delete it. It, it's application. If you're trying to build an NA car, I could I say definitely keep it because we made we made almost 800 horsepower on the engine dyno uh, with a stock short block on an LT1 um, with the LT4 direct injection. You know yeah. we put an LT4 pump, LT4 injectors, run it on pure M1, and 
Of course, it was a lot of compression. We milled the heads. We had some CID heads, and I think we milled them. I think we milled them fifty thousandths. So it it had you know quite a bit of compression. Yeah. It was fourteen something oil compression. Uh, but you know that thing made seven hundred eighty five horsepower on what fuel? M one. M one. Yep, that helps. That that's all it had. <laughs> yeah. And, you know the fuel system it was done. Yeah. At that level, but you know that's a stock short block making almost eight hundred horsepower. Mm-hmm. I mean it's just retarded yeah those cars are those engines are really awesome you guys are doing some crazy stuff with the cylinder heads on them too right uh no. or backwards no we're uh, we actually we actually did lt uh we designed a camshaft because uh, a lot of people don't know this but the intake and exhaust valve are flip-flopped on an lt compared to an ls mm-hmm. so if you were to put lt heads on an ls engine short block uh you couldn't really run a traditional cam because now your exhaust valves are opening when the intake valve is supposed to open mm-hmm. and vice versa. So uh, we designed a camshaft based on our LT cams. Uh, we had them ground on a LS core and flip-flopped the lobes uh, to be able to use LT heads on an LS short block. Okay, so that makes sense. And the LT heads, like you, you comparatively, are just so much better flowing Head. The flow, so they look it at least. I mean, yeah, no, I I do like the raised runner part. Uh, I, I like the rigidity part because uh, the the decks are a little bit thicker than an LS mm-hmm. head too. Um, but I think uh, the biggest benefit is the compression that you pick up, and then the coefficient of discharge, which is basically what the head flows versus the valve diameter of the intake valve or exhaust. Yeah, valve, you know, so. I think they flow similar air to like an LS3 head, but they do it with a 2125 valve, whereas a LS3 has a 2165 intake valve. So it's a whole lot more efficient head, which means mm-hmm. it has a higher velocity, better cylinder filling. Um, you know, so it's generally easier to cam because of that too. Um, but the test that we did, we took a stock LS3 short block. We obviously tested it with the stock LS3 heads. Uh, we had a a 230-degree intake duration cam uh, that was derived from our LT230 cam. Uh, we had it ground on an LS core for the LS3 heads, uh, took the rocker ratio, all that into account, so the valve motions were identical between LT with the 1.8 rocker yeah. and LS with the 1.7 rocker. And uh, we dyno-tested that. Uh, we stuck a set of TrickFlow LS3 heads on because uh, we didn't have any CNC-ported stock casting LS3 heads at the time. Uh, so we milled those heads, uh, the trick flow heads, tested those. Then we did the swap, put the stock LT heads on. And, uh, don't quote me on this cause I'm just, this going from memory from last summer. Yeah. Uh, but the, uh, trick flow LS3 heads made, I think it was five or six more horsepower than the bone stock LT1 head did. Oh, Wow. And those heads were like 35 or 40 horsepower better than the stock LS3 heads. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we took it one step further, and we had a set of GMPP uh, CNC-ported stock LT1 heads that had been milled 40 thousandths, give or take. And those picked up another like 35 horsepower over the trick flow heads. Hmm. So you could literally, if you had a bone stock LS3 yep. with stock heads on it, and did this 230 cam and did the CNC ported milled LT1 heads, you could literally pick up like 70, 80 horsepower. It would probably be much cheaper too. 
Probably. Because right now you can buy LT1 heads cheaper than you can a set of 243s, I think. Yeah. So, you know, it's... They're probably easier to find right now. I would think. Even I mean, the, like the L, LS stuff is starting to become a little tough to find the specialty things, and they're usually pretty ragged out at that point and well, been milled even, 10 times. Yeah, and they got 300,000 miles on them. People yeah. still want a $3,000 for a 5.3 iron block or something. Mm-hmm. You know, it's... Well, but, LS heads are weird, too, because it seems like... I don't know if this is a new thing or it just started something that I saw, but people actually physically just cracking them. I, like I, it feels like that recently happened where people actually started I, cracking a cylinder. I've head. seen a lot of the five three like eight sixty twos or seven oh sixes. I don't I always get those two mixed up. Which ones yeah. crack? But there's a certain casting that you know cracked quite often. But even like some big power LS yeah. like nice cylinder heads, like people are just cracking them under power. And I'm like, oh, I figured you'd like split the block in half before you do something like that. Like it yeah. seems like the cylinder head would be the last thing to crack. Yep. I don't know. That's that's a weird phenomenon. Yeah, that is a weird phenomenon. Uh, you know, they're, you know, I guess not all castings are created equal. Mm-hmm. I guess uh, uh, that's probably one thing that I can't talk in detail about. But we do have LS heads, you know, in in the works. Mm. So, uh, you know, obviously we've got a very good casting guy, and you know, he's. He's putting in work. <laughs> yeah, foundries are uh, they're hard to come by. Yeah, it's a it's a weird thing with the uh, casting aluminum. It is because there's not that many people that will cast a good cylinder head. Not that I've yep. looked into it, but yep. from what I've seen and heard, and I know other people in the industry that haven't dove into that, and I can imagine why. Yeah. <laughs> so well, you know, uh, Rick, he's a pattern maker and all. You know, he he can do it from hand if he really needed to yeah uh, you know he knows the whole intricacies of the whole you know foundry process uh so that's a that's a huge benefit for us and our team so um but yeah you know there's a lot that goes into a cylinder head uh you know the material that's used you know the the type of pouring that you do the for the casting um the type of you know material you use for the cores in the yep. mold uh so you know, he has all that stuff fine tuned and, you know, figured out all with all his years of experience. So eventually, though, you got to run out of blocks to put them on. Yeah, there's, like, there's got to be a finite number. And it's not like these aftermarket companies that make them are very quick at making them, I guess you could say. There's no, quite a backlog of. Yeah, because we're doing short blocks now, too. So we've we've got a pallet rack full of dart blocks and whatnot. Yeah. But oh, so you guys you know, have them all. Yeah, well, I don't know about all of them. We we do have a, a constant flow of them coming in for sure. Yeah, you know we always have open POs for them, but uh, yeah, it's you know I don't know how what the economy is gonna what what it's gonna do over the next few years, but uh, I feel like you know the LS blocks themselves are you know it's you know they're they're not making those anymore you know other than aftermarket so the. The thing to do is look at other motors like 2Js and see where they're at because five years ago you could get them really easily. Yep. Now they're crazy price. Yep. So you just kind of look at what's a couple of years ahead yeah. and see what it's going to do. And if you go, I'm sure you guys send a lot of parts to like Australia, they only ever got like LS1s. Oh, yeah. So it's like this weird deal down there where they're just like, yeah, they, they got it. They got screwed a little bit. They just got LS1s. That's why they're modern bearers. Yeah, it's like <laughs> nobody wants LS1s. 
but then when they do pop up, they're so expensive, and it's like, it's no, it's oh, one. Nobody yeah. wants that. I know. It's such I a know. weird thing. I need to send them some five threes and get some bears on trades. What we need to do. Yeah. There's a couple <laughs> guys that import those around here. Yeah. And they're really weird too because they like take like plates and just weld them onto the block in like weird spots to help brace it up. Huh. They just like weld like that's sheet metal basically to try to like <laughs> brace their engines. Wow. And that's a that's a weird engine too because it's like cam driven dual overhead cam versus like a lot of belt driven. Yeah. I would like to see somebody do more with the what is it, the Atlas? Yeah. That one's kind of cool. Yep. They only came in like weird trailblazers that oh, nobody yeah. wanted. <laughs> yep. I know Richard's done some testing on on those mm-hmm. in some of his YouTube videos, but uh, I actually talked to him because he came down to BTR uh, this past week uh, before I come down here to Florida, and uh, we did some intake manifold testing, but I was asking him about that specifically. I was yeah. like, so what's, what's the benefits and... Uh, caveats to that Atlas engine, and he seemed to think that it was kind of a weak engine compared to the Barra, yeah. uh, mainly because I think, don't quote. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. On this, but aren't they aluminum block? And I, uh, yeah. the bear is a cast block, right? Yep, cast cast iron. Yeah. But they have the five-cylinder and a six-cylinder one, yeah. which is weird, too. That's yeah. just like one's just chopped off right there. You know, the crazy thing, I used to make intake manifolds for those. Really? Yeah. Back whenever I first got out of high school, I worked at a factory in Frankfurt, and uh, that was my first job many, out of high school. And, like the OEM intake manifolds? Yeah. Okay, I was yeah. going to say, who's buying oh, aftermarket yeah, no. intake no, manifolds? No, no, okay, so the- we were supplying OE, so we, we made intake manifolds for Ford, uh, mm-hmm. GM, and Chrysler both, or all three, rather. And, uh, yeah, those six cylinders, Lord, I worked many night shifts, you know, yeah. pumping those things through uh, the assembly line. <laughs> those are funny because I think that was the first performance engine under Vortec. Yeah. When like it changed over to like Vortec performance engines, that's yep. what they started with was the Atlas. Yep. And then it just never made it into anything like cool or fast. Right. And then Cadillac was like, We're gonna use North Stars instead. That'll right. be cool. <laughs> instead <laughs> yeah. of using LSs. Said no one ever. <laughs> yeah. Friggin' North Stars, let's just do all the wrong stuff for the engineers on that one. That's a that's a fun rabbit hole to go down is looking at all the different North Stars that Cadillac yeah. used because they didn't just use one. They used like five oh, yeah. different variants of yep. different engines. Just and they all had issues, it seemed like. Yeah. I don't know the caveats to them. I never really worked on them, but yeah. Uh, I've always heard head gasket issues and all kinds of yeah. stupid stuff. And then yeah. the ones I think in the XLRV were actually good. That was yeah. it. I had a chance to tune one of those once. It was a guy that was uh, ex-Air Force. I, huh. I guess... 
not X, you know, he had retired or whatever, but it was the coolest thing too, because he had kept one of the joysticks out of, cause he was a fighter jet pilot. Yeah. And he kept one of the joysticks out of it and made that a shifter in that XLRV. <laughs> nice. So, you know, it's like, Expensive shifter. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> sure, that was a million-dollar shifter yeah, from the probably. Air Force. <laughs> Shifter's worth more than the car. Yeah, they just tag it onto the bill, you know. <laughs> um, so your car, is it still a torque arm? Not anymore. I didn't think it was. So the last time it was torque arm was, uh, I guess, 2020. Uh, I get my years mixed up because... I went without the car for so long. Yeah. Know, I was in chassis jail there for After 19, it was all kind of the same. Yeah, it all blends together. Yeah, So all those years. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, I took it to the chassis shop because it was just an 850 cage deal, stock mm-hmm. floor. It was literally a stock F body that, you know, put 850 cage in, and uh, it had a regular short Burkhart style torque arm in yeah. it. You're pretty uh, much where my car is at. It was pretty much where my car is, like, chassis-wise right now. Stay where you're at. It's fun. Yeah. <laughs> I talk to people often about the next step, and you're, I'm, I'm looking at the next step. Yeah. Is like, that's I, what I wish I left the car be. alone. I'll be honest. You know, it was just as fast. I could literally, I could have drove it down here. Mm-hmm. You know, it still had a radiator in it, alternator. Yeah. I could put pump gas in it. You know, the stock only, floorboards and stuff. It still had stock floorboards. You know, it Fit obviously, any class. It, it would probably get kicked off most tracks as it was running bottom sevens like 730s with an 850 cage but everyone eh, does that yeah i mean who doesn't do that anymore? <laughs> there's quite a few people that do that just run eighth mile <laughs> yeah i don't want to name names but most of them have coyotes <laughs> <laughs> right that's kind of the unfortunate thing is the fast is easy yeah but the cage work is not that's right high yeah. horsepower and fast car is relatively easy it just yep. takes some coin oh yeah but cage work is like an actual like yeah you have to and figure out somebody, the right guy finding somebody that can do it yeah. in a timely manner too you know because you know those guys are talented and you know they're gonna make the best money that they can where they can mm-hmm. and usually cages isn't it they don't want to be climbing around in somebody's car welding bars up nope. you know so and i get it i wouldn't want to either so i didn't do it myself yeah so so now it's what 25 three now it's twenty five one okay or two. I don't. I get all those mixed up. I just know it's started to Real six fast. zero and a quarter. Okay. So it's a double frame room. rail, and yeah. And so now it's still got an LS. It's still LS. It's actually the same motor. I kept the short block the same. Uh, I did swap heads. I used to have mm-hmm. a set of Cathedral Port trick flows on it, and it was hydraulic mm-hmm. roller, uh, twin, forced inductions S four eighty fives. Can we take a quick? Um, quick cathedral versus square Man, port versus rectangle. I'll be honest, it used to be on the cathedral port bandwagon because they do make awesome power. But man, after after dealing with my car, you know, I, I ran that thing. Now, granted, I never ran it to track this way, but it took 60 pounds of boost to make almost 2,300 horsepower. And, uh, you know, just comparing ETs from the old combo till now, you know, I'm running the same ET on literally like. 15 to 20 less pounds of boost. Yeah. So I've got an LS7 based head on it now. Interesting. So you think the cylinder heads really help that much? I figure I, once you're forcing enough air into them, you can kind of overcome. Well, it still becomes a, a heat thing, I think, because the more pressure you run, the more yep. heat it generates, the more air you're kind of displacing because, uh, you know, you're, it's hot. Yeah. So, now, I was running air water intercooler on that old combo, so the intake air temps weren't super crazy, but... I can imagine what they were pre-intercooler. So the turbos are still working 
over time yeah. to make that much pressure. So, um, yeah, I, I kind of changed directions and went to a decent size CID uh, LS7 based head and swapped it over to solid roller this time because I knew I wanted to turn RPM. Yeah. Uh, put a little bit bigger turbos on it. Uh, it's got forced inductions uh, GTR 5088s on it now. And, um, you know, my whole thing was I wanted to make an efficient setup, you know, to make horsepower naturally aspirated and on low boost to where it's not having to, you know, make so much heat, I guess. I also took the intercooler off, which is why I wanted to make it as efficient as I could uh, on the least amount of boost. Um, You were kind of streetcar before. Yeah. So then you kind of had to make that decision. Kind of have to look at yourself in the mirror, and you're like, "Do I yeah. still want to have a street car, or whatever that really means?" Yeah. So I was racing, you know, a lot of SET events. We were racing mm-hmm. a lot of no time small tire stuff, eighth mile, you know, stuff around local. And you know, I'd pull up next to a car like what I've got now, you know, full carbon fiber floorboards, and you know, the whole rear sections all carbon fiber yeah. carbon fiber wheel tubs methanol and, somebody pushed yeah, them up there pushing them up there on methanol the car oh. weighs 2600 pounds with them in it and you know here i am with a 3450 pound street car trying to compete with them and it's just like man you gotta crap or get off the pot so yeah you know i took the plunge and it's been a little bit of a headache you know over the last well since ls fest you know because i swapped it over to four link it's about five six hundred pounds lighter now um and of course the whole methanol thing too you know learning that and trying to figure out what it likes and what it doesn't like and you know i'm out of fuel pump so now i can't run this much boost and you know it's it's always something yeah so do you think lightening it up like that made it a good amount harder to tame uh not so much the car itself handles the power so much better now like yeah. uh you know it'll run a mid four second pass and it feels like you're on a sunday stroll mm-hmm. down the track so um yeah. whereas before you run a 460 pass in the car before and the whole front end's all twisted up and you know you're you're in there it's shimmying around down yeah. the track and you know it it's fun don't get me wrong but it's not gonna last that way forever in a unibody car to just eventually rip it apart but uh it seems to handle a lot better now so. interesting i've i've only been 490s in my car but i've never really felt it like yeah i don't know it's always felt pretty solid yep. and i don't really have too much bracing right. or anything right but i don't know maybe i just got lucky i, I got a I good think one mine was i'd cut so much structural stuff out of it whenever it was still street yeah. car so yeah. like it had the tubular front end stuff on it mm-hmm. um and I was running a front motor plate, I guess, but I wasn't running a mid plate. I think that was okay. part of the problem, too. It was still running factory-style motor mounts mm-hmm. in the car, and, uh, you know, it's just a lot going on up there in the front end with all that stuff cut out. So, Well, also, as all the old guys always tell me at the track, a 2J don't torque like a V8, so, <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, it just doesn't, it just doesn't twist it as much. I'm like, it's still 1,500 horsepower. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Because I get people all the time coming up, oh, you know, it'd do better out the back or something. They yeah. always try to tell me all kinds of crazy folklore yeah. that I like to hear. There definitely is a, a light switch point, you know, for the chassis side, you know, because I could turn the thing down, and uh, I'm trying to think what or remember what that thing made. Uh, Because I ran it on about 30 pounds of boost a lot at local stuff, you know, because it would run 
480s, 490s on 30 pounds of boost, and it made about 1,800 horsepower, give or take, yeah. you know, at that level. That's all you really need on, like, a marginal yeah. track. I yeah, mean, that's marginal plenty. track's not going to hold much more. You yeah. know, I'd scramble it out the back if somebody got out in front of me a little bit or something mm-hmm. and try to chase them down. But for the most part, you know, the car stayed pretty good and tame, you know. So whenever I started turning it up, 45, 50 pounds of boost, you know, I was making 21, 2200 at that boost level, and it it would start getting pissed off a little bit. So yeah, it's weird. I've seen a lot of cars like get to that level and their yeah. chassis. You think it's good, and then it starts to do some weird stuff, and it oh, doesn't yeah. sit right after a couple hits, and you're like, "What the yeah, hell is I going did on that, there?" My anti roll bar, uh, the one that came with the Burkhart rear end, it wasn't really made for two thousand mm-hmm. plus horsepower. Uh, I ended up having. Uh, Jesse weld me in a aftermarket, you know, one that he custom made as yeah. a big bar, uh, which fixed all of it. But uh, you know, at one point the the end links were, you know, tweaked like this. You know, you had one that was real short on one side and one was stretched out on the other because he's trying to, you know, compensate for how much the bar yep. was twisted. So that's how you know you're doing something cool. All right. Last week I had Cameron Johnson on and he makes like the for like freaking no prep Kings cars and the bars are like, you know five inches around oh, wow. solid billet anti-roll bars. And I'm yep. like, man, the cars that need that is just different <laughs> level. Yeah. Like, yep. That's like sure. 5,000 horsepower Hemis we're talking about here. Oh, so it's, yeah. it's so weird. Like, you know, when you have like a street car, my car's like stock rear end width and stuff, like nothing yep. crazy. Then to see like yeah, what the progression. real race car guys actually yeah. do. Yeah. And it seems like maintenance on a car actually gets a lot easier when it's, set up like that it is because everything's a little bit more centralized and and it's easier to get to you know you try to design the car to where you can work on it easier you know nut bolt check it Mm -hmm. uh you know i can change bars and stuff uh you know i've got ginormous wheel tubs i could probably put big tires on the car for if i narrow the rear end some more Mm -hmm. but uh yeah you can crawl right up underneath there and honestly sit sit down on your butt under the car because there's so much room yeah under the tub thing and Check all your bars and make sure everything's tight. I'm uh, definitely envious of that because stock F body stuff is real pain in the ass to yeah, work with. Yeah, I cut all the cowl and stuff out of it this time too. Uh, that was part of the weight reduction stuff that I did, you know, with the chassis shop. You know, so it's the firewalls go straight up now, and mm-hmm. you know, there's no reaching up underneath the cowl and you know coming out looking like Edward Scissorhands got a hold of you. <laughs> it's weird to stick with an F body to begin with. Yeah. Because most people in my position and then yours where you were are sitting there looking at Fox bodies or oh, yeah. something that's already that's 100% a right. little bit better rolling. Because yeah. even your car, like now, is probably still not as light as a freaking all-steel, all-glass nope. stock freaking it's wheel tubs everything. and stuff. Now, it, it does have a heavy power plant in it. You know, it's twin-turbo GT50. Mm-hmm. Might as well call them GT55 because it's the same frame GT50s are. So, you know, the turbos are almost 50 pounds a piece, and yep. they're both hanging out right there in the front bumper. And then I've got a, the short block is an LSX block, so they're naturally heavy. Well, dummy me decided to fill it full of concrete, too, so now it's even heavier. Nice. Uh, it'll never break, but, you know, at the same time, it's a boat anchor, too. Yeah, that's you know? a ton. So uh, we weighed it at US-131. Uh, I had to put 70 pounds in the trunk to try to get some downforce because we cut so much weight out of the back. 
Mm-hmm. It's biased. It's about 60% on the nose right now if I took the weight out. Yeah. And with the weight in, it scales right around 56% on the nose. And the car just works better, you know, at that point. And uh, that 70 pounds in the trunk with me in it, it weighed 3,000 on the dot. It was tickling between 3,000 and 3,005. So... That's, a, that's I mean, a kick in the shin for sure. Oh, yeah. You know, spend all that imagine. money on carbon, and I, it's just all the bars. You yeah. know, you go from an 850 cage to a 25.1. I mean, it's a double frame rail. It's got more bars in it than— But it's know, all molly, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, so. Dokal, whatever. Dokal, yeah. Then, I guess it's then, the other—I like don't know the what stuff. the weight is compared to molly, but— yeah, we got a little nest yeah. hanging out, don't we? Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> yeah, that I mean, that's a tough one because I was just talking to Cameron about it, and he was like, yeah, F-bodies are just not that fun to work on. Even cutting them out is like a pain in the ass because, like, oh, the way that all their, like, the pinch welds are in the back, yes. like, yeah. you can't even do anything with yep. that, and the hatch weighs, like, a 1,000 pounds itself. Yep. Actually, that's a, so it still has stock doors, stock windows, you know, still electric windows. Uh, still has a stock hatch on it. Um you know, I wanted to scale it first before, you know, I bought a $2,000 carbon hatch for the thing because... Carbon everything. Yeah, because yeah, if I put a carbon hatch on the back of it and it, you know, makes it even more nose heavy, it's like, well, now I'm going to add all the weight that I've spent money to reduce in the rear back on it. So, yeah. So, yeah, I just left the stock hatch on it for now until I can do some more weight reduction in the front or swap to an aluminum block or something or yeah. lead a turbo. It's a tough one. <laughs> Might just need to go to, like, an aluminum big block or something. I've seriously thought about it. As soon as uh, this LS expires, I, I don't know that I'll put a small block back in it. Yeah, it's kind of tough because if the rules allow big block, you're kind of crazy for not going towards those rules. Yep. And and you're heavy, so you kind of need... You need the horsepower. Yeah, and you need something strong enough, too, yeah. where you I can mean, actually throw that power out of it. horsepower with an LS, it just won't live. Yeah. You know, I could run 60 pounds of boost or more through the thing and make 3,000 horsepower, but mm-hmm. it's never going to live there. You know, it'll break cranks, it'll break, break rods and, you know, push head gaskets and this and that. It's just... Yeah, what do you not, do for head gasket on that thing? Uh, it's O-ring now. So I, I run copper and we put Visner hoops in it. So mm-hmm. um, I was running Athena gaskets before... And uh, we had, we pushed those a few times, which is partially my fault. Uh, you know, you lean on it, trying to try stuff, yeah. you know, trying to go faster. Um, and, you know, just get a little bit too aggressive, and it pushes one of the rings out, and you start getting coolant pressure, and, you know, you got to pull the heads and swap the rings out. So Those are tough, too, because once you push an Athena out, it's kind of a project. Oh, yeah. You got to cut the head. You got to, like... I always pull the motor because yeah. in my in my experience, I've never pushed one of those Athenas and it didn't bend a rod. Almost, really? Almost every time it bent a rod. Huh. The only time that I pushed one that didn't bend a rod is I had aluminum rods in it. And I think they just have enough give in them anyway to yeah. you know, Might take, not have been as long. take that you know, pressure spike, I guess. <laughs> Might have been a little shorter after. <laughs> yeah. So the, uh, you know, I had uh, some Cali's Ultra Enforcers in it when I did that dyno run on 60 pounds of boost and it pushed a gasket on that hmm. uh it wasn't supposed to go to 60 pounds it was supposed to only make about 52 to 53 uh, my timing table didn't even go to 60 so uh, whenever it got to about 53 54 pounds of boost it, the timing just stayed in it 
so at 60 it was getting what it was supposed to get at 52 mm. and uh it didn't it was yeah, like it didn't one, revert back to like a safety. one degree too much <laughs> mm. so, it always is just one too much yeah yeah <laughs> That's kind of how it always ends up being. It's just oh, yeah. one too much. Well, you keep those tune-ups too, because you know you, you know, if it hurts it that bad, where you got to buy a rod and pull the motor down and check all the bearings and whatnot, change what's bad and check the crank and put gaskets on mm-hmm. it. I mean, it's a process. You know, it didn't totally junk the motor, but you got to mill the heads because those Athenas put the ring grooves into yeah. the deck surface of the head, and. uh so you know, there's there's a lot involved in it, but uh, it's a it's a lesson. You know, you have to take those lessons and learn from them. And you know, at 45 pounds of boost or 50 pounds of boost, you know, this much timing is too much. So mm-hmm. make sure it never hits that. <laughs> yeah, that's your uh, no go zone unless you're finals round versus somebody right. real fast. Then right. you kinda, <laughs> you put all of it into it as needed. Yeah. Um, have you ever gotten to tune anything that's not a car? Because down here, we have a lot of, like, yes. airboats, and yep. those are pretty cool to see tuned because they're oh, yeah. kind of scary to watch tuned. Oh, yeah. But other tuners get to tune things that aren't cars, which is yeah, always I've, fun to hear I've about. I've heard some, some of my buddies, they've tuned airplanes and all yeah. kinds of stuff. Me, personally, I've, I've tuned a few boats Yeah. because uh, we, we've got quite a bit of lakes and stuff up by us in Kentucky. And um, I'd say that probably the most notable one, uh, we had a guy that had this uh, big cabin cruiser. It was like a 70-foot cabin cruiser, and it had uh, two 580-inch big blocks in it with Whipples on it, like four-and-a-half-liter Whipples on it. And you think race cars are expensive, this, then you see that. <laughs> dude, this thing, it had direct drives on it too, so it would shoot rooster tails like 80, 100 foot behind the thing. Yep. It, it would run like 70, 80 mile an hour, this big 70-foot boat. Mm-hmm. and. That, that was a fun one to tune, though. We uh, we did it on the engine dyno first, cause, so he had some engines redone, and, um, you know, we dyno tested them on the engine dyno to get preliminary stuff. But, yeah, it, the tune-up completely changed in the boat, though, because the load that it sees from yep. all the water uh, is just completely different. So it definitely needed to be dialed in in the boat. But, um, yeah, I've done a few boats. Um, when you got two engines, are you trying to get them pretty similar, or are you like tune this engine, then tune I mean, that it's, engine? It's tough. Or are you so kind of like because you want them to like harmonically kind of run? Yeah. yeah, I ended similar. up taking two laptops, uh, and it sucks because they were on Big Stuff Three, and you know how <laughs> dated that stuff is. Yeah. So, so I had one laptop running one engine, one laptop running the other engine, and simultaneously kind of you know juggling back and forth between them. You know. Mm-hmm course it's closed loop you know it had wide bands in them luckily to where they could close loop you know trim the fuel and whatnot so uh obviously you keep those things kind of fat and you know retarded and, yeah you know that's about the only way you can make them live in something that big and heavy so keep it safe too because you know that guy's gonna keep it pinned for oh yeah these things know. are singing at six thousand rpms for like 40 miles yeah you know? it's not so. like a race car where you're like <laughs> Flip the throttle for five seconds yeah, and then you're done. Then you're done yeah. <laughs> this thing needs to live right. on some terrible gas too yep. that from Oh the, yeah. From the marina. <laughs> yep, the marina gas that they gouge you on. Yeah, that's yeah. a tough one. <laughs> the airplanes ones are crazy too, because that's like a different world where you're tuning for altitude changes oh, that yeah. Yeah. you shouldn't see on a car. I've not really seen I've not personally ever done anything with a with an airplane. I guess really the probably most accurate 
or similar that I've done to that is with cars, you know, in the mountains. Yeah. You know, down in the Appalachian Mountains, you know, you can go from a thousand feet or, you know, six, seven hundred feet above sea level to ten thousand feet. Yep. I think it's ten thousand feet. Don't quote me on that. that Something might be, like that. That might be Rockies. <laughs> yeah. Well, like Pikes but, Peak is similar to that where yeah, they have to like, yeah. you're starting. I'm trying to think what Clemens Dome is off the top of my head. It might only be like 6,000 feet. But anyway. It, That's it's, a pretty significant. It's, it's thousands of feet. Yeah. You know? So, you know, the barometric pressure definitely changes, mm-hmm. you know, from, you know, down there to up there. So GM spends a lot of time and money to make their cars run good like yep. that. Yeah. I think a lot of people don't give GM the credit. Oh, or OEM the credit that it deserves for the amount of R&D that goes into no, the really factory tunes. Because people are like, oh, it's stupid. Like, the CTSV world, I feel like that gets that a lot. It's like, oh, yeah. this is stupid. Why would GM do this stuff? And I'm like, because they last 200,000 miles like that. Yeah. <laughs> and they have to work in Alaska. And they yeah. also have to work in Mexico, like yep. where it's 200 degrees. Or me know? here in Florida, 90 per- yeah. 90% humidity exactly. doing back-to-back pulls without blowing up. That's right. Yeah, because the owner's not going to stop doing pulls. Uh, that's right. Yep. Yeah, we go down yeah. Alligator Alley and it's just <laughs> what fifty miles of just nothingness. Yeah, yeah. They they have to account for a lot of things, and it's funny to see too because a lot of your aftermarket standalone companies are slowly gravitating to some of the features that the OEs have had mm-hmm. in their cars for twenty years now. Hmm. You know, whether it be you know temperature correction stuff yeah. or you know, time-based under load stuff or, you know, there's there's all sorts of different. So as the aftermarket starts to do what you can do on HP tuners, HP tuners is slowly taking away those features. Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> so it's kind of become, because <laughs> I've seen a couple people talking about that lately where taking away some features that have always been there. Yeah, I've got a few old versions installed on some laptops. So, yeah, yeah you have to keep those on, you know, under wraps so mm-hmm. they don't get updated i've talked to quite a few people that have actually been like actually busted by eba stuff and oh man it's, it's a it's a crazy world i've talked a bunch to um to john uh lund lund yeah, yeah. we've yeah. talked a bunch of times about his deal and yeah. trying to get him on at some point but yeah because he's like the guy when you think about people who have been in trouble for right. tuning cars and yeah. you're like oh him that can Corey happen also Corey yeah. too. I've talked yeah. to him a few times as well, yeah. and he's he's close with HP Tuners, so he's in a yeah he's in a very different spot, which is yeah it's crazy with him too because like he literally tunes the government, the military vehicles yeah, and then and they don't need DEF. The, one of the other government entities, you know, sues him. It's like how does that work? <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's a weird deal. Um, so with the BTR stuff, you guys have started doing the engine packages pretty recently, right? That was yeah. Uh, we we kind of did some engine, uh, I guess, performance packages. You know, probably a year and a half ago, mm-hmm. mainly with the LT stuff. But as far as uh, short block stuff, yeah, that was recently, as of probably a couple months ago. Well, there's a pretty uh, large gap in the market for mass production engine packages right now. Yeah, because there's. It's a large opening. I won't name any names why some people are doing different things now. But you also just picked up um, Potac. Yep. Which, yep. That guy's awesome. I've he's known actually him my for, boss. Oh, is he? Yeah, he's actually my boss. I've known yeah. him for a bunch of years now, and that guy's always been awesome to me. And he's he knows LSs so well that he's written multiple books. Oh, yeah. Yep. <laughs> which is really funny. Yep. So Potec over there from Texas Feed, which is a cool deal. I was, I was glad to see him 
yeah make yeah, the change he's, to he's go up good, there he's a good addition uh and he fits right into we're all gearheads and yeah you know at the end of the day we we just want to make horsepower and you know have fun doing it so. yeah his swapping jeeps and stuff so um what do you consider a street car uh, this is a fun debate a fun that one. I get into with people because streetcar carries a lot of different, yeah, a lot of different definitions. You know, I'm probably a little bit more on the extreme side, uh, I, and I guess it depends on the context of the question. So if it's like for a street class, yeah, uh, you know, what's what's the spirit of the class? Is this you know something to attract, you know? the guy that's went and bought a new Hellcat or a Demon or a CTSV or a Z06, yep. Camaro, whatever. Uh, or is this, you know, a class that you want to be fast and, but still street legal? I think there's street car. And then I like the idea of overdrive classes. Yeah. I, I think that that's a, that yeah. should grow because yeah. overdrive classes make things super interesting. Yeah. Because it's a, it's yeah. a, what I would call a late model street car, mm-hmm. you know, where it's, you know, your, your big three, you know, you, yep. or, if, you know, even some of the, I know, uh, Nissan's got their, you know, little Z car that they just brought out and yep. you have the new Supra and, you know, those cars are going pretty quick. Um, but late model muscle, I think has its place. Uh, and then you have like your street racer class, you know, like, you know, something like my car could fit in if I put a radiator and alternator back in it. I could literally drive it 40 miles on, you know, this fuel and then swap over to methanol at the flip of a switch and yep. go make a 600, you know, 650 or 640 pass. And, you know, that. but it's not really a street car. There will know? be people that will claim street car is a street raced car as well. And yeah. I'm like, well, yeah. I don't yeah, go I mean, race on the streets. Realistically, uh, I mean, the way I've always classified it personally is if I can hop in this thing without having to work on it and do a bunch of weird stuff to get it running, if I can hop in it and drive an hour away to have a dinner date with my wife, yeah, that's a street car. Then you consider it a street car. In yeah. Florida, it's tough because everything's legal, but if you don't have AC, you don't want to drive it. You don't want to drive it. Yeah, so like... <laughs> I can't claim anything a streetcar because my wife is not getting in right. any of my vehicles without <laughs> AC, and I don't blame her honestly. Yeah, especially like the power glide stuff where you're like, oh yeah, you know, sixty miles an hour, and then it'll it's suddenly four thousand RPMs suddenly rain like that all of a sudden <laughs> oh, in Florida, yeah. just like yeah, cruising on your drag radials, and then you get a yep. slight drizzle, and you're like, oh well, I guess today is the day we die. Yep, <laughs> oh no. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, you know, the, the streetcar debate's a fun one. Yeah, and and I honestly kind of miss the streetcar thing. We actually just recently bought a, a six gen Camaro. Um, just it's literally a stock car with heads cam and intake on it, mm-hmm. uh, flex fuel E eighty five. I mainly bought it because after all, all of our testing, you know those things making crazy power. Uh, this particular car I tuned for a close buddy of mine, and. Uh, he was starting a company and needed to get rid of it. So I was like, I want first dibs. And uh, it made, I think, 638 horsepower to the tire. And it's still naturally aspirated stock bottom in. Yeah. And, you know, I love that car. Those I, chassis I, are really I good. I have a blast in that car. I mean, it's not the fastest car, you mm-hmm. know, out on the road. I mean, there's obviously twin turbo coyotes and all that stuff running around that make 1,200 horsepower that run off and leave it. But at the same time, uh, getting out of a race car and into that car. I, I enjoy that thing a lot because 
don't have to work on it. I change the oil in it, put fuel in it, and drive it. Have fun. Yeah, I like those chassis. They're they handle really well compared to yeah. every other Camaro, of course. Yep. Even the fifth gens, where they're like a fifth gens are just massive. And yeah, they're bulky. I, I never. I love tuning fifth gens. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, but as far as owning one, I never really cared for that body style and just the way you sit in them and yep. just you know, it's a good looking car, but man, they just they should have shrunk it about yeah twenty five percent and. <laughs> and even it with a solid axle instead of IRS. <laughs> right now is tough too because you could either get a fifth gen or you can get a second gen CTSV yeah. for almost the same price. Yeah, and no. the second gen CTSV is just all around a more enjoyable car to own. Oh yeah, I mean visibility outlies and stuff. Yeah, yeah, and I mean it's a it's a Cadillac. You know? Yeah, you get the so. blower that makes seven hundred horsepower pretty easily. Yep. Basically, you know, yep. five hundred bucks almost you pretty can much. make. <laughs> yeah, literally. It's it's kind of a those cars are I think are one of the best bang for your buck. Yep, yep. We, like I mean, we've seen an influx car. of that too, where they started to get a little bit more affordable. You know, people are starting to model more, and mm-hmm. uh, that's the thing. It kind of stinks about Kentucky. We're always about four or five years behind in the performance market because, you know, people are poor there. You know, it, you know they're not modding. You know, the latest and greatest vehicles out there. So, mm-hmm. uh, so we usually catch it four or five years late, but you know that's okay. Yeah, it's we're down fun. here in South Central Florida where there's Lamborghinis, Lamborghinis everywhere. Ferraris, Maseratis. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah, it's a vacation spot, so we get all that vacation yep. spot money that comes in here, the yep. tourism money and stuff like that. So it's definitely a um, – we definitely get that market down here. Right, yeah. right. I, I didn't even really realize that, the difference there, because I imagine like, oh, Kentucky, it must be a lot of hot rodders. Yeah. But – Hot rodders are generally in SN95s or Fox bodies. Or and you do have a lot of that. There's a lot of hot rodders. There's a lot of Mustangs, a lot of uh, older vehicles. You know, I'd 90%, uh, I wouldn't say 90. I'd say probably half are all swap cars that I mm-hmm. tune, you know, outside of uh, work. So, With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yeah, how is that? How, how do you feel about tuning swap cars? Because that's, that's one that I, I spent a lot of time in a dyno shop. Yep. And every time a swap car comes in, it's like, this is just a dyno tune. And then it's like troubleshooting for eight hours. But then you also don't want to be the dyno guy that's like, it's not working. Bring it back when it's working. Yeah, it's it's hard. It's a tough balance. In, it's, it's a tough balance for sure because now I'm limited on time. I used mm-hmm. to, I would schedule one one dyno tune a day. And we had all day. Yeah. And if we needed to work on something, if somebody's fuel pump went out or injectors went out, We'd shoot over to BTR, grab something, mm-hmm. you know, come back, fix it, and still have plenty of time to finish tuning. But that's such, like, a huge time suck for oh, you. Oh, yeah, it's a time suck. But, you know, my shop's paid for, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm literally just out time, and, you know, we're hot rodding too, so it, it's fun at the same time. But now it's a little bit more difficult because now I don't get home till you know, 5 o'clock, 5.30 in the afternoon and have to squeeze a tune in, you know, before 10, 11 o'clock that night. So if they've got issues, it's pretty much, well, you're going to have to schedule another day or, you know, leave it and let me take it to one of my 
you know, local shops yeah. that I deal with to fix it or whatever. So, yeah, that's where it gets so tough. It's so hard to tell somebody like after they just scheduled that dyno and like it pulls oh, on no. there, they fired up one pull and then suddenly it's just like dumping cooling out or oil oh, or something yeah. stupid. And you're like, well, I, don't, I don't know what to tell you, dude. Yeah. Like, you got to get it off the lift. Yeah. Like, it can't just sit and here the, all day. And the small stuff, you know, I'll work with people. Like, if they burn a plug wire, I've got an assortment mm-hmm. of. OEM plug wires laying in a drawer that I've pulled off a bunch of swap vehicles and or swap motors rather, and you know uh, another one is uh, coal packs. Those things seem like they're going bad more often now than they had in the past. Um, so I keep you know junkyard coals. You is know, that on the shelf. an aftermarket or stock ECU? Doesn't matter. They're just uh, going bad. Most of them are stock ECU and stock coals. I was going to say know. I don't know if that was in something the ECU could be doing to them. Kind of no. I, I mean, I'm sure if you overdwell the things, I'm yeah. sure that's hard on them. But uh, generally speaking, they dwell them pretty long on the factory tunes on those things too. So yeah, I run the IGN one A ones, and those have been yeah pretty beefy for me. I mean, I'm sure right. you do too because yeah, I do high now. boost like that. Yep. You kind of have to, or else you're going to be blowing spark out. Yeah, especially on methanol too, running such a rich mixture. Yeah, but, uh, I run just ethanol because it's. I love running Ignite. Those guys are awesome, so yeah. I've always had such good luck with it that I'm that, just like... That's what I ran whenever I was intercooled. Uh, you know, and I'd still be running that if I had an intercooler on the car. Well, but. it's also, for me, it's kind of a safety issue as well because methanol brings different level of safety. Like, yeah. I think people don't realize, like, switching fuel, like, you need more fire suit. You need more fire suppression. Yeah. You, like, there's actually different rules that come along with a different fuel. Yeah. So, yeah. That's, yeah, and, the, and I don't... I remember talking with this one of the rule guys, but I think ethanol is supposed to have all that same fire stuff that yeah. methanol does, but it kind of skates by because it's still considered a gasoline yeah. to some people too. They're working on changing that, I believe, yeah. to where basically it's methanol. And they're both alcohol. They should both be yeah, the same. I mean, honestly, gas is just as flammable as methanol. Mm-hmm. I think the, the problem with methanol is you generally have fuel pumps that flow way more fuel than uh, gas pumps. Yeah, big and mechanical ones. Yeah, too. you're flowing 20 gallons a minute, whereas a gas, you know, vehicle might only have a one or two gallon a minute pump on them. Yeah, you know, for X amount of power. But uh, yeah, it's a uh, it's a weird dynamic and uh, a little bit scary at the same time. You know, I try to stay on top of fitting. You know, nut bolt check the fittings and. All that stuff. To, little drip can get out of hand pretty yeah. quickly. Yeah. What really scares me the most is blowing an O-ring out of an injector or something, because yep. that seems like that's probably one of the most mo- uh, probable things that could happen. And, uh, you know, methanol is naturally hard on all the O-rings and uh, whatnot in the injector as well. So uh, I didn't have to do any maintenance on the ethanol stuff. I ran Ignite for years mm-hmm. prior on the older setup. And... Uh, we're actually building a drag and drive slash, you know, street car, uh, with all the parts that I took out of the yeah. black car, hand me down uh, car. It's a hand me down car, literally. So it'll have the rear end out of the old car, the yeah. cradle, and the. Is it gonna be another F body then? Yep. Nice. Yeah, I already bought it. It's a 850 cage. It's already tube front end. Hell yeah. Uh, it'll literally be a red version of the what the black car used to be. Mm. So and, then uh, that one will we'll get out of hand as well. No, I'm going to try to keep that one reined in uh, to a street They always start duty. that way, though. Yeah, and then suddenly I, you got two full-blown race cars. If I need a race car, I'll just hop in the black one. I'm going to try to make this red one where I can do drag and drive stuff yeah. and be comfortable in it. Um, and 
maybe get into some of the street street race stuff. There's a ton of dragon drives right now too. I know that seems to be the hot topic. Yeah, uh, getting in them seems to be hard. There's also a, they sell out very quickly. Yeah, the I'm, one down here sold out in like know. twenty I'm so minutes. Out of the loop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that doesn't help when you no. don't know when they're coming up. Because <laughs> you got to be like ready with like some people have like a computer and a phone out, like ready oh, to yeah. be like quick on it. Yeah, oh, yeah. And it's kind of a it's yeah. crazy how they sell out that quick. Yeah, I know. Uh, I thought about uh, just taking our white car, the six gen, yeah. and just ride along with them. It's and, really fun to and even just, just to do that. Hang out, you know, even if I'm not racing, mm-hmm. just to because I've never been out in the Midwest either. I think the Technically, the furthest west I've personally ever been is either uh, St. Louis or I actually flew down to Dallas-Fort Worth to teach a, an HP tuner class, uh, tuning class down there at Dynacom. Um, but I never, I didn't even get out to get it, you know, to explore yeah. or do anything while I was down there. Well, TX2K this year will be in Dallas. Yeah. That's yeah. a good event. I, I really wish I could have made it to the OG Houston. Yeah. Uh, of course, that place is gone now. So. Oh, that, that's always such a good race. There's always such good competition there. I yeah. mean, I always hang out with the uh, like Brett Lasala and those guys, oh, yeah. and they're such a good team to hang around with because yeah. they push so well. Like they, like they, they usually win when they're out there. So it's like, oh yeah, it's a good motivation. Yeah. Sometimes you go out there by yourself, you go out like second round, and you're like, oh whatever. You know, it's crazy. You have these race teams that they just click. Yeah, you know, I, I don't know if it's an organization thing or if it's just a mindset thing, but you know that car is a super impressive car. You know, I yeah. mean, of course, it's got an awesome chassis too. Uh, I know the guy that built that's down in Bowling Green. Yep. And uh, yeah. I think a lot of that car, honestly, is the wiring and the sensors. Yeah. Because when they look at the data logs after they they don't look at the videos or anything. They're not thinking about that because yeah. you can see exactly what the car did. Yep. On the data, you don't have yep. to. You don't have to watch it, which is oh, yeah. cool. Like oh, my yeah. car, I'm like watching a video in slow motion, trying oh, yeah. to zoom in. I'm like, who else got a better angle? Yeah, try to look at the timestamp. Okay, this much time into the run. Yeah. Is, you know, it's doing this. Look at the data log at that point and see, you know, what it's doing right there. You know, that you're like, oh, I could see it did this here and that. Yep. I'm like, oh, that's what, that's how you actually race it, and win. Yep. Makes sense. That's right. <laughs> I, I did the same thing. I put all the shock sensors on. I've got a laser sensor on the front and, you know, sensors for everything pressure sensors for the converter and all the dump valves and you know it's it's fun to look at the data and you know try to figure out that's what's really been learning experience for me over the last you know year or so since i've had the car up and running again uh one learning four link because it's a parallel four link car now yep and uh you know trying to figure out what you know instant center it likes what kind of anti-squad it likes you know, what different anti-squat and instant centers actually make the car do. Because, uh, you know, there's all kinds of YouTube videos on there that tells you this, tells you that. But it, honestly, those things just put me out in left field mm-hmm. until I actually talked to somebody that actually raced and won, you know, to give me some preliminary settings to try. I was out in left field. Yeah, and you got to be careful who you talk to. I always I, – I take a lot of advice from a lot of people, and then I – don't always implement everybody's advice. Like I I listen to everyone and then kind of pick and choose some things here and there and like who's actually doing it. Right. And is actually going fast. And I'm like, yep, I'll I'll listen to them a little bit, but then there's also some people that are going fast, but it's like, okay, but that's the only car and chassis you've gone fast in. Yeah. Versus the guy that's gone fast in 20 different cars that he's worked with. Yeah. And yeah. And then you have the whole aspect. Are they telling me that? 
to throw me off my game. Uh, you know, because if you know if you're racing the same class or yep. you know you're racing against one of their buddies or something like that, it's like, well, are you getting factual information or do you have to take it with a grain of salt and you know figure it out? And yeah, so, be careful a little bit about yeah kind of why somebody would be maybe yep. turning you the wrong way. Yeah, and that's where your car gets tough too because you have so many adjustments. Yeah, my car I have like. Two adjustments. Oh, yeah, dude. I can move a bar up and down a little bit in the back. Yep. I don't even have, like, the front lower control Tor- arm. Torque arm is way easier for sure. Yeah, I never even touched my torque arm. Yep. Just kind of leave that I where it's at. I never at. did either. Yeah. It's literally lower control arms on them things. Move them up or down on the rear end. And and I don't have, like, the front lower control arm brackets, like, with tick cells. The tick cells, yeah. I don't even have See, those. See, those weren't even out when I was still torque arm. Yeah. So I was stuck on the factory mounting point on the front. And... uh it's funny because I actually had Jesse uh, down at uh, his shop, Jesse's Garage in Bowling Green. That's who did all the chassis work on it this last time. Yeah. Um, before I had him do all that, um, we'd actually took the, I guess the, you know, your normal nine-inch housing that has your three holes or four holes on it, mm-hmm. uh, and your Midwest chassis, Burkhart, most fabricated chassis rear ends have that. Uh, we cut those completely off, and he had these uh, – uh, I guess lower control arm brackets that were like this tall. It had like yep. ten or twelve holes in it, and they were real fine adjustments too. And uh, we had to actually I had to actually take the wheels and everything down there because he was like, "Look, I got to move these in a little bit because these are so low. Like they're gonna rub the beadlock rings yeah. you know, if I don't weld them in the right spot." So, uh, you know, he welded those on, and man, that that changed that car completely. Uh, we ended up, I think, putting six and a half or seven degree upward slope on the lower control arm. Mm-hmm. And, and that thing started separating like six, seven inches, you know, by the 60 foot or so. And that thing, it would hook on a dirt floor. I mean, it yeah. was crazy. But that's on the list of wants to do is four link my car. Yeah. I would really, it'd be cool if somebody made like a better way to do it where you don't yeah. have to like cut the whole thing. If you can make it like a, fox body style where you can just put in like the little upper and just triangulate it yeah for link i'd be perfectly happy with that i I looked into that and i almost think there's room up there you might feel like there might might have to notch some of that you know where the Mm -hmm. back seat panel is but that stuff is just paper thin anyway you could literally probably weld in some of those yeah i mean you could tie it into the cage too if you really like tee the cage into it kind of in some way and right because if you basically just took a Mustang rear end geometry and used their lower control arms and lengths and everything, because yep. the weird thing about the torque arm is sometimes it'll get down, sometimes it'll catch the ring gear and oh, then yeah. just climb. Yeah. And then once it's climbing, you're climbing. Yep. And you're. <laughs> that's what I ran into. Uh, I, I put that's part reason why I put those brackets on because uh, it. Anytime I tried to throw any boost to it. You know, to get it to go faster to the 330, mm-hmm. it would just do that number. It either power wheelie or 60 foot out, it would just already be on the bumper. <laughs> yeah. Do you do any uh, remote tuning for yep. anyone? Okay, yep. so Haltech mostly remote tuning? Or? Haltech, Holly, and uh, HP tuners. Oh, cool deal. Man, well, we'll end it off there, dude. Thanks for coming in. Um, if they can reach out to you somehow for remote tuning on. Yep, uh, I do it all via, uh, via email, okay. uh, info at short tuning. Okay. So short tuning, reach out to him for any uh, remote tuning needs and probably trackside stuff, which is immensely it's, nice. It's it's hard to it's hard to do trackside stuff uh, the way we work now, but 
I do uh, schedule or at least off email on, wise. Yeah, email wise, we definitely do that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we're usually at the racetrack. You know, most of the SET events and stuff like that too. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we're usually there for racing and tuning and everything too. So, sweet. Well, good deal. Check them out, guys. Thank you so much for coming on, man. But that'll do it. We will see you guys next time. Yep. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane. So shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply. Step into the world of power. Loyalty and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.